These are the tribulations of Paulette. of a kabuki clown roll down my cheeks. I'm not sure if I cry because Dave lost his job or because the prospect of daytime sex with me wasn't the thing that brought him home in the middle of the day. In any case, his face is whiter than mine. How could they have laid you off just like that, I ask? Five directors gone. The firm will be lucky to get through the end of the month, Dave says. I knew it was bad, but I had no idea they'd let out the lifeblood. What about your bonus, I ask? We've already got an attorney working on it, but for now, nothing. Quite honestly, I don't think they're going to come through with it. Oh my God, I say. What does this mean for me and the kids? Well, we have to be very careful not to spend any excess money, Dave says. What do you mean by excess, I say, Japanese eyebrows crooked. Neiman Marcus, Barney's, Dave says. Also, Dr. Fish. Wait a minute, I still have to write checks for the reunion, I say, hoping the blood dots from the rest lane shots I received barely an hour ago don't show through the geisha makeup. See if you can get help with that, Dave says. Maybe your pal Ted will pony up. Or you could pass the hat during the party. Pass the hat? Thanks, but I'd just as soon pawn my engagement ring. And getting more money out of cheapskate Ted will be formidable, unless he's allowed more than a passing glance at Miss Kitty. Here I was, all ready to ride into this big reunion on top of the world. Speaking of ride, what about my car, I ask. My X5 is a company perk given to Dave, who lets me use it. Oh, it has to go back. You've got to be kidding. We could buy it from the company, Dave says, but it's an expensive car and it's off warranty, Paulette. We might want to look at something more cost-effective. No Beamer? Bummer. And to suggest that the prom queen show up at the 30th reunion in Dave's old Volvo wagon, well, that's just out of the question. But this has larger implications. I'm in the midst of serious personal hormonal turmoil. And a midlife crisis is supposed to be all about buying a sports car, not giving one up. Answer me this, I say. How long before our life turns into fun with Dick and Jane? It won't if we act sensibly. The first thing we'll try to do is get a refinance on the house. That way we won't have to sell any stock, Dave says. Then, I guess we both need jobs. Hey, Dave, I've got news for you. I have a job. And sadly for me, it involves your dirty underwear. The thought of another job, one that involves hairspray and pantyhose, causes me to break into an immediate hot flash. Wet palmed, I excuse myself to go upstairs and ponder the significance of our imminent economic downturn. I am really confused. I thought the recession was in 08. Did I miss something? Is it still going on and I didn't know it? I stare into the bathroom mirror. The bulk of the kabuki makeup has hardened like joint compound into every crease on my face. I reach into the shower for a loofah as the phone rings. It's Rosemary, my angry Russian esthetician. Where are you? She wants to know. Uh Uh-oh, 
I'm late for the reunion mani-pedi. I'm on my way right now, I say. Dave meets me on the stairs as I head out, my face successfully loofed into Beaujolais Vermilion. He's holding a box. This just came from UPS for you, he says. He glances at the label. It's from Neiman's. A few sale items from the catalog, I say. Bad timing. Where are you going now, he asks. To see Rosemary, I say, and he frowns. Do you consider that excessive, I ask? Eighty bucks for a pedicure? Hell no, he says as he shakes his head. Oh, no. I have a supervisor. Possibility of sexual relations notwithstanding, Dave's diurnal presence is going to put a severe crimp in my routine. The UPS guy evidently beat me to Rosemary's. When I arrive at her non-licensed home salon, the doorway is partially blocked by four huge boxes, each the size of a small refrigerator. What's all this, I ask? You'll see, she says. You came at the right time. Twenty minutes later, as Rosemary illegally shaves the bottoms of my feet, ten large-bottomed Russian women of indeterminate age charge through the front door. With them are two youngish high school boys who carry a faint whiff of hormones and sport the beginnings of facial hair. I recognize the kids as the sons of Rosemary's sister Katerina, who leads the pack. I say pack in the strictest sense of the word because this scene is a Georgian Pamplona. The boys grab stools at the kitchen counter and do business with a steamy McDonald's bag. In the meantime, Katerina pulls out a pair of scissors, packing tape is hacked, and the UPS boxes spew their guts out onto the floor. Inside each box is enough new clothing to fill the mezzanine of a target. A war cry goes up as cello-wrapped trousers, dresses, blouses, suits, and jackets are passed around, cracked open, and held up for approval. Then, the scene shifts to something more reminiscent of the old Feinlein's basement. The comrades disrobe and begin to try things on. Several things trouble me at once. Did somebody rob a department store? Also, there are young men present who appear to pay no mind to the pockmarked pounds of increasingly naked flesh which parades before them, their mothers included. Pensile breasts bob and weave as the women sift through the merchandise. Here and there, a grayish thong engirdled with pubic hair flourishes beneath an engorged underbelly like some rare Siberian hillside shrub. Where did all this stuff come from? Rosemary's curt answer. A friend from New York. He's in the clothing business. That's all I can say without implications, she says. Anything under a size 16 gets tossed in my direction. This too small give to client girl, they say. No, thanks, I say. I don't need any new clothes. You try, they say, and Rosemary glares at me, plantar razor aloft. Who are you to turn your nose at these fine things? You think you are better than the rest of us? No, just smaller, I think to myself. Nevertheless, I can't live without Rosemary's pedicures, no matter how badly she treats me or bosses me around. 
Okay, how about if I bring them home and bring back what I don't want? I say. You can't take home, Rosemary says. You have to try on here. Held over the proverbial barrel, I allow the Russians to play Barbie with me. Bullied, I nervously drop close to a thousand bucks. Back at my house, I carry the clothes in over my arm as if I had just picked them up from the tailor. Household foreman Dave intercepts me in the kitchen. What's all this? He asks. I humor him because it's still his first day on the job. Um, stuff for the reunion, I say. He doesn't buy it like I did. Are you mentally ill? He asks. Didn't I just ask you to curb the spending? Yes, but it hasn't sunk in yet. I say, chagrined. This is feel bad spending. It'll only happen once. I learned that Dave was busy multitasking while I was out. Enterprise is bringing a car over for you in a few minutes. He says the X5 is going back to the company today. They're taking the car just like that. I ask, honey, I lost my job just like that. He says. This is just to tide you over through the weekend. We'll go car shopping next week after the reunion is behind you. As I clean out my car to ready it for permanent departure, I find a tube of recently discontinued Chanel pink accent wedged between the front seat and the console. I send Dave to the basement for the toilet snake to dislodge the lipstick. It comes out, but it's really damaged. Doesn't matter to me. It's the last pink accent in my house. I may be without my beamer this weekend, but at least I'll have my lipstick. Twenty minutes later, a shiny black Dodge Magnum pulls into my driveway, driven by an Enterprise guy who took a bath in high karate. A car fresh evergreen tree hangs from the rearview mirror, apparently to neutralize the smell. Best car on the lot right now, the salesman says as we inspect the rental for dings. Looks like a hearse. I hiss to Dave. It'll be fine for now. Dave promises, and then he drives off in my Beamer with the Enterprise guy in the front seat, gone forever. I go inside to weep for the loss of my car, and my cell rings. It's a very buoyant Ted. I tell him what happened. Don't you worry about a thing, Paulette. We are going to have a terrific reunion weekend. He says. I'll meet you tomorrow morning at the hotel. Hmm. Ted and me left to our own devices in yet another hotel. I must be nuts because despite all that's happened, the prospect of a reunion smooch excites me. I go to the kitchen where I whip up six meals and several dozen batches of cookies to get Dave and the kids through the weekend. After dinner, we decide to play a Monopoly game with the kids to have a little family time before I split for a couple of days. Mom, my oldest son TJ asks, "Where is our family on the Monopoly board?" I immediately point to North Carolina Avenue. Dave shakes his head. My finger moves counterclockwise to Marvin Gardens, and Dave still shakes his head. When Dave doesn't stop me at free parking. I halt, and our eyes meet. He wasn't kidding earlier. I'm pretty sure there is no Neiman Marcus on Tennessee Avenue. I knew this girl who told me it's no good to drink alone. 
Now she got no husband, just a two kids on her own choices. Choices. She hears her voices. She made a choice. This is Eric Fontana. I wonder if she takes a drink or two now and then. Wonder if she smokes too much and curse a motherly friend. Choices. Next week, reunited. Till then, ta-ta.